Welcome to episode 32 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, L. I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. Alchemy. The science of understanding, deconstructing, and reconstructing matter. However, it is not an all-powerful art. It is impossible to create something out of nothing. If one wishes to obtain something, something of equal value must be given. This is the law of equivalent exchange, the basis of all alchemy. In accordance with this law, there is a taboo among alchemists. Human transmutation is strictly forbidden. For what could equal the value of a human soul? Else face right now as I read the opening <laughs> monologue to Full Metal Alchemist. There's going to be so many Full Metal Alchemist references because the writers of Full Metal Alchemist did their fucking research. Uh, they did they they learned this fucking science to make Full Metal Alchemist. I am positive of that now, having done all this research. <sighs> anyway, I rewatched Full Metal Alchemist a few months ago, and I think. Uh, you know, you saw some of that in previous episodes. I think I brought up Full Metal Alchemist. I think we talked about it a few different times. Yeah, yeah. And, and L, you saw some of the some of the episodes. Mm-hmm. You see the one where the girl gets turned into the dog. I don't think so. Oh man, it's heartbreaking. Uh, it's real fucked up. It's considered one of the most uh, fucked up and heartbreaking scenes in mainstream anime. Oh, okay. Uh, Edward. It's real sad. Because um, <laughs> imagine like, you know how it's really sad in movies when dogs die? Mm-hmm. It's also really sad in movies when kids die. It's imagine a girl turning into a dog and then dying. Both and neither at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 uh, it's horrible. But also like makes a solid point. Um, I think the thesis of Full Metal Alchemist is really like – you pretend to be like all about science and you believe in science so much that it's just your new religion. So all the pitfalls of religion are now the pitfalls of science uh, because religion is not the problem. It's the way you treat religion is the problem is uh, – and I think that's a really great you know, premise. When you like overvalue science so much, you start to devalue you know, humanity. Yeah, and I, that's a, I think a common pitfall I would say. You know, just like if you value divinity like so much, you start to devalue humanity. If you value science so much, you start to devalue uh, humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, humanities majors, where are you at? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is why we have things like full metal yeah. alchemist uh, and philosophy to like help point these uh, point these things out. Uh, and the real alchemy, like real world, like fucking alchemy we see it in like fiction all the time because real world alchemy has affected our culture in ways that cannot be reversed in ways that are permanent and important for good and for bad it is the real shit it is the real yeah it was like a bunch of wizards like playing with beakers blowing themselves (laughs) up trying to find the secret to immortality but at the same time Their discoveries are the reason we have a lot of the things we enjoy today. Hundreds of years ago, 
alchemy was the not even hundreds of years ago. Uh, maybe a hundred years ago. Even. Yeah. Alchemy was the most advanced academic institution of its time next to maybe astrology. And most alchemists practiced both, believing they were connected and interrelated. Some of the things you can thank alchemists for are – here's a list – hard liquor, disinfectant, hydrochloric acid, painkillers, porcelain, hmm. uh, matches – and just so many incredible things that, like, if you went back 100 years and, like, showed somebody, like, uh, I guess maybe maybe a little more, like 200 years, you showed somebody, like, a fucking match, like, striking a match, they'd be like, holy shit. <laughs> Hang him. He's a witch. Wait. How long ago were matches invented? I have no idea. But I do know that um, phosphorus was invented by an alchemist. In like the 1600s and didn't really catch on till the 1700s. Okay. Okay. So how many? That's 300 years. So like 300 years ago. I have to be honest. I don't actually know how matches work. Uh, so there's a coating around some phosphorus and the friction causes the phosphorus to ign- like ignite. Okay. Um. Yeah. But phosphorus itself, like raw phosphorus, can just like fucking ignite when exposed to air. Oh, um, okay. So you got to be like careful. That's why it's got like a little, a little coating uh, yeah. it to like prevent spontaneous that, combustion. Of that matches. would be bad. But yeah. when you add the friction, you remove that coating and you heat it up with friction, then the mm. phosphorus just goes kablammy. Okay. Which like that's fucking magic, right? That's yeah, fucking that's magic. wild. <laughs> if you think about like. <laughs> How many uh, societies lived and died by a fire? And we have like in uh, the house that we live in, there were just I don't I don't know how many matchbooks. We probably have well over a thousand matches. We have to right at the house. Yeah, like so many. They were just left over from the previous person who lived there. Yeah, they just like left and all we, these matches. And I've been there for a year, and we have not run out of matches. I don't even. We've maybe used like two of them. Yesterday, I was throwing a toy for Rocco, and it hit one of the matchbooks, and then it exploded on the floor. And that's what your matches are making me think. of. <laughs> The matches exploded? No, like the like I hit it with the toy. I was like throwing it and it like hit. It was on the table and then the table took it off. Okay. And then um, like the or the toy threw it off the table and then the box just like like matches everywhere. It exploded in fire. No, not in fire. No, it scattered matches. We have to be specific about context with these kinds of things. <laughs> yes, the the it just it opened up and the matches went everywhere. Okay, RJ from the future here. I wasn't totally right about how matches worked because they don't use phosphorus anymore. The phosphorus they used was called white phosphorus, and people who manufactured matches got a disease called fossy jaw for manufacturing them. On top of that, there was enough white phosphorus in a book of matches to kill a person. So people were committing suicide by eating the heads off of matches. So they don't uh, make white phosphorus matches anymore. Anyway, wanted to wrap up that match tangent. Back to the show. Oh, and they were invented in 1826 when a chemist accidentally left some sticks and some random chemicals. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. <laughs> went on like a tangent about matches. About matches. About fucking mag- matches. Uh, so you have to understand that while we view these things as like 
medicine and biology and chemistry. The alchemists and people of their time were doing actual, like, incredible, dangerous magic. For themselves and for the people around them, they were like, Hoo-hoo, I'm going to do magic. When you put this with this, it goes kablam. <laughs> um, modern science really owes so much to alchemy. Modern medicine and modern chemistry and even physics and engineering owe so much to these alchemists throughout history. And I believe that in most university-level science courses, when they talk about like the history of science, they talk about alchemy. And alchemists mm -hmm. and the shit they did. Yeah, it was like wacky, crazy wizardry trying to like raise the dead and turn lead into gold and live forever. But it fucking worked some of the time, not doing what they intended, but doing things that they never could have intended. Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, how do you that's how so many great things are invented, right? Like by accident. Yeah. So alchemists were known for chasing three main goals. Transmuting common metals like lead into gold, creating a magical substance called an alkahest, an acid that could dissolve anything or return something to its uh, most basic based form from like the primordial energy. I was going to say just primordial the, ooze. The god goop that he made the planet out of. <laughs> Uh, and, of course, the fabled Philosopher's Stone, which could grant eternal life, heal any wound, or turn things to gold or dissolve any. Basically, it's the magic bullet of alchemy, the this Philosopher's the Stone. the thing. Yeah. So I'm going to be really honest and say that I, I knew that the Philosopher's Stone was a thing, but I didn't know that, like, the Sorcerer's Stone in Harry Potter was based on the Philosopher's yeah, Stone. Yeah, I, I don't know why that translation thing happened. They're like, oh, yeah, Americans aren't going to understand that right. the Philosopher's Stone is a magic stone. And it's like, bro, we, we know. Like, we're not – whatever. I, I mean, I yeah, like, I just – I, yeah. Come on, Scholastic. Believe in us a little more. <laughs> um, obviously, alchemists never made any of these things. <laughs> or did they? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. In part one, we're going to have like a little Alchemy 101 class and learn what alchemy actually is and how it evolved over time into the modern science we practice today. And then in part two, we're going to talk about famous alchemists and their inventions. One of the most famous alchemists is a dude named John Dee. Uh, and I know we just talked about, like, Aleister Crowley and how much of a heavy hitter Crowley was. John Dee is just as much of a heady hitter, heavy hitter when it comes to magic. He's just, like, half a millennium old. Mm. Of all the alchemists that we're going to talk about, he really pioneered it for the purposes of occult practices, including divination. So we're going to do... An old divination method John Dee used in his time that is called – this is a hard word to pronounce <laughs> – molybdomancy. 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 M-O-L-Y-B-D-O-mancy. Molybdomancy, okay. which is scrying molten lead. Uh, I also got a kid's chemistry set at Michael's. <laughs> and we're going to see if L can scry a simple science experiment. I got the build your own lava lamp kit. <laughs> and it's got like 10 different experiments you can do. It does. That's a bunch. Uh, so we're going to see if L can scry one and see if the chaos of the lava lamp blobs, if the grooviness itself mm. um, is able to be divined 
Um, <laughs> so with that, let's dive into alchemy, the blurry line between magic and science. Alchemists walked so that chemists and biologists could run for real. I'm going to like do the the most skimming background. Literally, this was the forefront of scientific thought for like 1700 years. Yeah. So there is just a whole fucking lot. Uh, but I'm going to go over the most basic basics where everything started and how everything grew from there. Uh, so... Uh, there's just there's just so many badass weird weirdo alchemists to talk about. I'm like, sure. Yeah, I had to find like a pool of them for part two, uh, but I think the background in alchemy is really going to help. Uh, fortunately, one of those alchemists had to you know be the first in recorded history, and the first one we know about is Hermes Trismegistus. Hmm. You probably know him from hospitals. <laughs> Hermes Trismegistus has a staff featuring wings near the top and intertwining snakes. You'll see the symbol on ambulances and any place medicine is practiced. Mostly, you'll see the symbol in America. And I'm about to blow y'all's minds a bit. The symbol is misattributed. It doesn't represent medicine at all. Not even a little bit. America mistook the staff of Hermes to be the rod of Asclepios, which fe features a single snake entwining a wooden rod with no wings. Asclepios being the Greek god of healing and medicine. Hermes Trismegistus being a mythological Hellenistic figure that combines the Greek god Hermes with the Egyptian god Toth. The staff of Hermes Trismegistus is also called the Cadicus. Cadicus. Cassius, cad, it's a Roman word. Cadica, caducus. I'm gonna go with cadius. Caducius, caducius. That's what I think it is. Caducius. Caducius. Oh, this is gonna be great to transcribe. <laughs> it said that the staff of Hermes Trismegistus uh, could wake anybody who was sleeping and put anybody awake to sleep. If passed over someone who is alive, they will peacefully die. If passed over someone who is dead, they will return to life. It is mostly representative, though, of commerce, business, and logistics. You know, the things Hermes, the messenger of the gods, yeah. is associated with. So America just fucking, like, dropped the ball on symbology of this one. They're like, that's the right one, right? No, yeah, that's the right. Is that not? That's the right one. Everything. Yeah. yeah, no, no. They totally meant the right to bear arms being arms of bears. I know. And the rest of the world, probably especially the people in fucking like Rome are like, dude, you fuck. Why do you have logistics <laughs> all, all, all over all of your hospitals? Are, are, are your hospitals and UPS like combined industries? Um, and if you're an EMT, kind of, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> EMS is the logistics of stopping people from dying as best you can. You just package them up and you ship them to the hospital. <laughs> Send them on their way. Yeah, we're just, you know, bloody UPS guys. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, man, it is a. I was real disappointed when I found that out. I was like, "You mean this whole time we've just been collectively stupid?" And that's literally what people, what everyone <laughs> says about Americans. It's yeah. literally what everyone like, says. This about whole Americans. time, y'all are just collectively stupid. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, <laughs> Hermes Trismegistus himself, though, is considered to be the founder of the spiritual and philosophical school known as Hermeticism. This practice alone could be its own fucking podcast. Like, we could do an all Hermeticism podcast. We could spend endless hours picking apart the Hermetica and its individual practices and tenets. And this is from like, you know, 300, 400 B.C., whether he is real or just a legendary figure is up for debate. You know, if he's like like a Socrates, right? Or like, is Socrates just a literary device Plato used or was he like a real person? Um, yeah. The general consensus, though, is that he has his origins in the cities of Hermopolis, which was a Greek city in Egypt. Here, the two cultures like like blended. The Greeks and the Egyptians saw similarities between Hermes and Toth. So Hermes Trismegistus was both gods worshipped as one. Several cults began to crop up and teachings were put together. Medieval Christian monks, who we know are just the best, uh, <laughs> then retranslated and reworked these teachings, much like they did with Zoroastrian teachings. Hermetic teachings were incorporated into Christianity. And things didn't uh, – the things they, they didn't take, they were like, hmm. You know, it doesn't sound Jesus-y enough. They just, like, <laughs> demonize them entirely. Like, this I, is a cult black magic, and we'll burn you for it. I really look forward to, like, the distant day when we all look back to, like, the ways that Christianity just fucking eradicated so much culture and so much – so many things we could have learned. Because that was what happened, like, to – this is me going on ancient Egyptian and Christian tangent. But that's what they did is they took away all their medical stuff. Anyway – uh, of course, uh, opinions on certain teachings and practices would change over time sometimes. So like sometimes astrology was considered like witchcraft and other times it was a noble academic pursuit. And the same was true for alchemy. Both were schools of studies in hermeticism. Mm. I'm going to do my best to skim the top of hermeticism, just a little off the top. It's extremely complicated, <laughs> like extremely fucking complicated. And you could probably dedicate your whole life to studying it, and many people, many people do. Alan Moore, the comic book writer, uses hermeticism in all of his writing. And if you don't know, Alan Moore is one of the most influential comic book writers of all time. He wrote V for Vendetta, Watchmen, The Killing Joke, Promethea. Uh, just to name some examples. And he's also fucking crazy. He's fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, hermeticism includes three schools. Astrology, alchemy, and theurgy. Astrology being the study of the celestial planets and shit. Mm -hmm. Alchemy being the study of material. The stuff. The stuff. The stuff. Okay. Theurgy being the study of the spiritual, the immaterial like theology. and divine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Simplified further, existence and consciousness can be divided into two categories, the material and the immaterial. The material being matter, force, time, and the like. But the thing is, we only experience the material as a parody of its true self. Our eyes take in light and our ears take in vibrations, but all of that is then processed and filtered and interpreted by our brains. These interpretations make up the immaterial. 
still with me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Tree of Life, or Sephirot, from the Kabbalah represents the various stages of our experiencing the immaterial. At the bottom, we have things like stimulus, like touchy thing, feel good, soundy sound, feel good. At the top, we have achieving actual godhood or enlightenment. And in between, we have things like language, mental visualization, empathy, emotions, and other experiences. Obviously, they go way deeper than that, but, uh, and, you know, I'm being a little reductive to save time uh, and also trying to avoid melting my brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How hermetic magic can be used might make a lot more sense. As a poet, I am technically a p practitioner of powerful hermetic magic. I can use the immaterial world language to affect you in the material world. If I say something like, sweet Caroline... Ba, ba, ba. You do that. I made you do that with magic, uh, basically. <laughs> uh, I manifested a reaction from you using only immaterial language. Uh, and that's because Neil Diamond cast a spell on you. <laughs> uh, and I was able to activate the spell that Neil Diamond had cast on you. If that makes sense. Do you know what day comes after tomorrow? Thursday. No, after Thursday. Friday. It's Friday. Friday. So what kind of black magic did Friday. Rebecca Black? <laughs> Dude, that, that was curse magic. It really was. That was, that was curses. That was a curse. <laughs> we were all cursed with that. Um, so this follows the hermetic principle you may have heard before. As above, so below. As in the immaterial, so in the material. I affect your – I create reactions to the Immaterial, and that affects your existence in the material and the things you interact with and how you interact with them. Okay. Many practitioners of hermeticism believe those who have the ability to perceive both the immaterial and the material simultaneously have traveled further up the Sefi Rote and have a deeper understanding of the whole and therefore can exert their will over reality. Artists, writers, and those considered insane chiefly among them. Uh, essentially, it's magic. As a philosophy. Okay. I'm down with that. I love philosophy. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. So like social constructs, for example, are powerful hermetic magics, like hermetic yeah. seals. I think that's like an interesting lens to look at it through because I dislike a lot of social constructs. So I try to undo them. So if I looked at that from like the hermetic, I just reject that magic. And I'm like, what if I didn't want that? Yeah. You, you can. Yeah, you totally um, can. <laughs> one one example, but sometimes you straight up like have a real hard time doing that. There's yeah, because times they're when so you can. powerfully reinforced. For example, one of the things Alan Moore points out in one of his books is money mm -hmm. as a dark hermetic spell designed to control you in specific ways. Because money itself has no intrinsic value. It's just mm -hmm. it only has value because we tell it. Yeah, we we've decided it has value. Yeah, because a hermetic spell has been cast, mm -hmm. making us all believe that there is power in this, and those who have money can manipulate the power of that spell. Uh, and so it would be really hard to just like reject the concept of commerce entirely without like a major revolution yeah i don't know there's like ways like smaller communities that run off of that but they have to make some sort of good and then have their 
the leader of the group sell that so they can afford to buy other things. Yeah, it's not easy Mm-mm. at all. Uh, the more powerful the hermetic magic, the more ingrained it is in our society. I think you just blew everyone's minds. Do we need a minute to did, let that I, sink in? <sighs> capitalism is a horrible curse. Yeah, capitalism is a horrible curse. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it is a curse we have to all decide to resist at the exact same time in order to undo. It's very powerful. I don't steel. know that we could have. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's, I don't know, maybe someday. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this is an episode about alchemy specifically, but... Similar rules apply. Like this is one of the foundational principles of alchemy. One of the tools and concepts Hermeticism had is solve et coagula, which translates to separate and combine. Take thing apart, put back together, deconstruct, <laughs> reconstruct. And uh, where we have, you know, where, where have we heard that before? Full Metal Alchemist. It's like alchemy. lots of places, I think. The art of understanding, <laughs> deconstructing and reconstructing matter. When you look at Full Metal Alchemist, you can also see the strong influence of Hermeticism in the show. They present alchemy as a science for the enlightened. But when the Elric brothers discover that the Philosopher's Stone is actually condensed human souls. Fuck. Like the lines between science and spirituality are blurred because spirit is now just a scientific ingredient. It's boiled down. Like everything is boiled down to ingredient. Everybody is an ingredient. Every person is an ingredient. Yeah. Source and meal wolf. Yeah. Is that what it is? Is this where we're going on our tangent about how we went to Omega Mart and got our minds fucking blown? Could be. I just – because I was like, what have I done recently that was the human – Soul as the source of power, and it was Meowulf. That was one of the the things, yeah, that we didn't solve. Yeah, I think. Well, I think we got close. The story's going to evolve, but like, no spoilers for Omega Mart. Like, just fucking go. It's it's mind blowing. It's huge, and definitely plan on being there all. It is day. incredibly hard to explain. It I is, have tried to explain it, and I don't know that I have words to explain it. It is a theme park level of time commitment. Just it is. So you yeah, know. you definitely want to go as soon as it opens and, like, pack appropriate snacks to stay until it closes, which is the thing that we did not do that we should have done. And uh, hide those snacks because no outside food is allowed. <laughs> um, and the line for the bar inside of it is way long and the there is, like, no reentry. So I feel like we we just dropped this tangent in here and didn't tell anyone. Omega Mart is a... Art installation. Yeah, so it's called an ARE or an alternate reality experience, kind Mm -hmm. of like an alternate reality game. And in a lot of ways, it is an alternate reality game where in a role-playing game, you are like pretending to be a paladin, like fighting goblins. But in an alternate reality game, the world is role-playing around you and you find yourself in an area, in a world that is completely – Different and separated from what we understand is reality. And that way, I suppose it's a whole hermetic spell. It Uh, is kind of a hermetic spell. And you get – you fall down this rabbit hole. It's like literally going into Wonderland. Yeah, we actually – we did that. So we went to Omega Mart with our friends um, for one of their birthdays, which was awesome. And we had the best time. And we were like wandering around waiting for our friends and RJ like tripped – over yeah. this tent. I was like, oh, there's like a tent in the camping section of this like bizarre Night Vale-esque <laughs> department store. Yeah. <laughs> and I tripped and fell into the tent. 
And then I looked over and there was like a little rabbit hole I could yeah, crawl Yeah, there was just this little hole. So I crawled through it and I was in just like a whole nother area. I was in this like small like pseudo indigenous alien village uh, thing. Yeah. And it was like, whoa. And yeah, the whole, I think, thesis of Omega Mart is about the capitalistic exploitation of uh, natural and public resources and how that victimizes like in- indigenous, indigenous communities and just all communities in general. Yeah, regardless, it's bad for everyone. Regardless of them. how temporarily inconvenient certain products may seem, the long-term impact is not worth it. Yeah, it was really good. Y'all should go. It was just wild. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, hit the... <laughs> Archie's getting so good at hitting the bowl. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Full Metal Alchemist, the human soul is discovered to be just like it's an energy source. And energy and matter is interchangeable. So you can make something from nothing if you have a philosopher's stone because you have uh, – I think like game theory like calculated it where it was like several atomic bombs worth of energy from one human soul. Okay. In Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah, well, because I guess it would be very hard to quantify right. what well, make it work, what as, makes the meat bag work. As you know? they say, what could be the value of a human soul? And it turns out they could quantify that energy. But should you, I guess, is no. the question. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when Ed in the show attempts to perform human transmutation, basically using alchemy to bring his dead mother back to life in the first episode, a portal is opened to what's called... The Gate of Truth. On this gate is a giant engraving of the Tree of Life, the Sephirot, uh, with each branch labeled in Hebrew in the show as it appears in the Kabbalah. Okay. Like they did their fucking research. And it basically shows, like, Ed moving up notches on this, like, Tree of Life. Towards enlightenment. In, in understanding. Okay. And realizing that that enlightenment may not be worth it. I honestly, though, that's like a thing because I think people would probably consider me more enlightened than the typical person. Can I can I can tell you it's not fucking worth it. Yeah. And it's like the show, uh, I lied. That wasn't the first episode where that happens. That's the inciting incident of the show. Like the pilot episodes involve them going to some like uh, far like isolated desert community and telling them that their religion is false and uh, revealing that they're like priest who does miracles is a total fraud mm. and that he's actually just like doing basic simple alchemy to trick all of them into believing that he's speaking for God and he's just manipulating them all. Mm. Which like then you're like, yeah, you get that religious fraud out of here. And then you go into the world of the actual show and it's like, oh, no, they are using science for like the same thing but way worse. Actual like neo-fascism. Oh. Actual like Nazi level fascism. Uh, and it's terrifying it's way more terrifying than what the religious fraud guy was trying to do as is so often the case right as is so often the case um of course the human soul would exist as a source of great energy and power and full metal alchemist in hermetics the spirit affects matter and matter affects the spirit as above so below and so you could deconstruct, like use your spirit to deconstruct matter and reconstruct it to change its properties. You can also use matter to deconstruct your spirit and change your spirit's properties. Solve et coagula is at the heart of alchemy. 
including medicine. If you recall, when we discussed Hippocrates, uh, Hippocrates, uh, he had a theory that we were all just made up of like various humors, humors yeah. which were different kinds of goop that made us work. <laughs> Mucus and blood. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, you know, if you were sick, there was an imbalance in the humors. But following hermetic traditions, you could use alchemy to cure them by influencing their spirit and humors and thus their body. This would be the beginning of pharmacology in recorded history. Hmm. Herbal remedies were designed to soothe the spirit, deconstruct the spirit, and reconstruct the injury to the body. Uh, music, poetry... Uh, and, you know, just like soothing words and touch were used in treatment mm. because heal the spirit, heal the body. Yeah. Yeah. As we know from modern chemistry, solvent coagula can apply to elements. At the time, they believed in the classical elements. Earth, <laughs> wind, fire, water, and aether. Which is like spirit. Matter was classified by these elements with intangibles like shadow falling under aether. They knew that combining matter could make up different things. Mixing certain types of earth with certain types of water makes concrete. Shape it and add fire and you can make bricks. You could then deconstruct those bricks and return them to a powder and then reconstruct them in a different way, making something like a pot or whatever you want. Mixing it with a totally different liquid. Or... Adding wind and then fire uh, when it's a fine power, powder to create an explosion. Hmm. And with this background, we're going to talk about how uh, alchemists throughout history deconstructed and reconstructed the world around them. Changing it forever. And most of this is me starting out with like, okay, let's talk about some alchemists and then turning into, oh, my God, there is so much we need to know before we can do this. So we're going to start at the beginning and Alchemy 101. Now that we know about hermeticism, there's Man, so much. we're hanging in there yeah. today. I was like, I'm just going to come and let RJ educate me about some stuff i'm just gonna sit yeah. here and be educated like how familiar were you with hermeticism before the episode i literally the only thing i know about hermeticism is i have a hermetic tarot deck that i don't like to use oh <laughs> well now you know about hermeticism and honestly like i really it, like it hermeticism fuck, it fucking is magic you know that shit yeah. fucking is magic um yeah all this stuff from like the things we've been talking about beforehand i'm like you know i think i could fuck with this I yeah. feel like I like it. Uh, but for that, I've got an extra spell. And this extra spell is brought to you by me. In my new book, The Ghost Was Always the Machine. You can pick up copies at rjwalkerpoet.com. This extra spell is going to be about the Philosopher's Stone itself. The dragon alchemists have chased since 300 AD. But it's a lot more than a rock that will allow you to live forever. We're going to go through the history of the fabled stone and give some background when we talk. So that when we talk about the famous alchemists and their inventions, we kind of have that background. The earliest mention of the Philosopher's Stone is in the Chirocometa. C-H-E-I-R-O-K-M-E-T-A. By Zosimos. 
of Panopolis. Who just I'm so mad when I have Zosimos. to transcribe this later. <laughs> I know. Zosimos of Panopolis. Okay. He's a Greco-Egyptian alchemist and Gnostic mystic. A little background on Gnosticism. Uh, there's a lot that could be said about this, like Hermeticism. You could have your own podcast about Gnosticism. It's an early mystical interpretation of the Old Testament, which actually praises the serpent for granting knowledge to Adam and Eve, allowing them to resist the Demiurge or the tyrannical creator God. In this one, God is bad guy. He's bad guy. Old Testament God is bad. He he is a douchebag. He's an egomaniac. He wants everybody to worship him. He'll fucking drown people and start over if they don't worship him right or do what he wants. He's a total tyrant. In Gnosticism, the serpent is a liberator for granting knowledge to humankind. They viewed the god of the Old Testament as just this, like, total douche canoe. Uh, and then there was also a good god who rose against him who is the father of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ himself. Hmm. Uh, so you have like kind God that's like love and acceptance, bro. And then you have mean God that's like worship me and suck my dick, kiss my ring or drown. Uh, but don't suck his dick. That's not allowed. Yeah. Not allowed. Not allowed. I honestly can fuck with this. Like when we were talking about it, I'm like, yeah, this is some shit that I could get behind. Most definitely. Good, bad, God, bad. Yep. Good yep. God, bad God. It makes everything – in, like, Christianity makes so much more fucking it sense. It does. Just from a narrative standpoint, it makes so much more fucking sense. And that, like, really explains why God seems to, like, be one thing and then be another thing a lot later in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, so Jesus delivers us from the evil creator God. Uh, the good God did this by creating – so while, like, mean God created the physical world, which is just this awful flesh prison we have to exist in and, like, all the bullshit that comes with that, like, surviving and starving and fighting and killing and shit. Yeah. Um, the good God created the spiritual world or immaterial world, the world of knowledge and language and wisdom. Uh, and this was, you know, a holdover from Hermeticism uh, until, you know – the Gnostics were all branded as heretics and killed. Um, but I can see that. But that they just make a lot more sense yeah, to me. It, it makes a it makes a whole lot of more sense. Where like the serpent was like, Hey kid, um, the world actually sucks, but you don't even know it yet. If you eat this apple, you'll have access to like the divine knowledge that's being kept from you from like the douchey god up there. I'm gonna be honest, I don't even think I'd have to be tempted. If someone was like you can eat this and you will have knowledge. I would do it. I just love information. Yeah. So I don't know many people that wouldn't. Although I, I do know some that would be like, no, and then, I want this shit. And then world. Mean God was like, oh, no, you have access to knowledge. Guess I've got to make life miserable for you in exchange. Uh, Bizarre. Yeah. Weirdly, weirdly like America. You know, weirdly like America. Mm -hmm. I wonder where they get it from. Um, mm -hmm. One of the core beliefs is something called gnosis or gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, which is the belief that we all have the potential to be divine beings. Some people have what's called a divine spark. And the strength of that spark brings one closer to God. And you can like develop and cultivate your divine spark. But some people are born with an inherently more powerful divine spark than others. Mm -hmm. Um it is believed that Jesus's messages were never meant to be interpreted literally like we see in so much Christianity. Fundamentalism literally came a lot later mm. uh, in the history of Christianity. 
um, the teachings of Jesus were meant to be, you know, like metaphorical and they were coded so that they could only be interpreted by those who recognized their own divine spark and had the wisdom to understand them. Like Jesus was like, this is for y'all who figure this shit out. Here's my sermon. Um, Here's here is the oh, what is it called? The cipher. This is the cipher. The, the cipher. The code. <laughs> this is the code for when you figure it out. Um, the act of discovery and learning is what would help somebody enhance their divine spark. Just like Eve taking a bite of the apple, she became aware of her divine spark. The Philosopher's Stone works as a catalyst for one's divine spark, letting you achieve full divinity. Alchemy being the pursuit uh, of knowledge required one with a strong divine spark, and the pursuit of the Philosopher's Stone itself was said to bring one closer to divinity. Yeah. So <laughs> cool. it was it was That's literally cool. just kind of like a metaphor where like the Philosopher's Stone, it's not really real. The Philosopher's Stone was inside you the whole time. Uh, and then by pursuing the Philosopher's Stone, you're pursuing knowledge which is going to give you godhood and all the powers of the philosopher's stone so the destination is not the destination it's the journey it's the journey it's always the journey it's the journey (laughs) over time uh gnostic philosophies and ideas were labeled as heretical by christianity uh which was growing in power quite a bit um the legend though remained the legend of the Philosopher's Stone. The theoretical roots of the stone's creation included the four classical elements and the concept of anima mundi, or the world soul, the idea that all living things are inherently connected spiritually. In addition, there is a belief that all matter was derived from an original source called prima materia. In order to create the Philosopher's Stone, you needed to get your hands on some prima materia which is derived from chaos or the void state before creation. Um, it was the stuff God used to make everything. Um, it is – it's all super fucking complicated, made-up <laughs> science shit. Basically, you have to break down and combine all the classical elements to their primordial states to create pure prima materia that you can then shape into, into the Philosopher's whatever. Stone okay. using the power of the animal money, the world soul. Yeah. Sounds really difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. In the Middle Ages, the Gnostic writings of Zosimos would further be worked upon and expanded, conveniently modifying the parts that were considered heretical. Still, the practice of alchemy was demonized by many Christian extremists. Most alchemists sought patrons or the protection of an aristocracy or even the church itself to continue their work. I mean, who wouldn't want a stone that would make you live forever? Me. Who wouldn't want a wealthy well, – like what wealthy person wouldn't want to just like be able to turn lead into gold? I mean I think most people. Yeah. I'm not angry. even – like I think definitely poor people would, would fucking love that. That would be great. Oh, yeah. That would be life-changing for a lot of neighborhoods. Yeah. But I mean if you're a rich person, you want to definitely <laughs> want make more sure – more money. You definitely want to make sure poor people don't have that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the places that contributed the most to the discovery of the Philosopher's Stone were the Byzantine and Arab empires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, they were able to be more like protected <laughs> in, in, <laughs> yeah. in those areas. And in part two, we're definitely going to talk about uh, some of the we're, – we're going to talk about the – MVP of like Arab alchemy. Um, he's fucking cool. Anyway, okay, that's gonna be cool. part two. Uh, then in the 1300s, a Catholic friar who was like doing alchemy under the umbrella of the church 
named Albertus Magnus. All these fucking guys have like the craziest <laughs> names. They they all sound like fucking wizards. Like now we know where all these fucking wizard names come from. The wizards. The, the, the actual <laughs> wizards had these names. Uh, so Albertus Magnus is reported to have either seen the Philosopher's Stone or created one. Hmm. Legend has it that he witnessed lead get transmuted into gold with it. Then he passed the stone on to his apprentice, the famous philosopher St. Thomas Aquinas, who is just a huge figure in medieval philosophy. Mm -hmm. Like This guy pushed some shit forward, and we've talked about him before on the show. Uh, I think it was the last time we talked about him, sex magic with coitus reservatus. Uh, oh, is and, it him? And incubus. He had, like, theories about, like, incubi and succubi. Yeah. Anyway, legend has it that Aquinas viewed the stone as something that belonged to God, not men. Too dangerous for men to have. Like, too blasphemous for men to have. I agree. And destroyed the stone or hid it somewhere. I was going to say, how could you destroy it? He used the stone to destroy the stone, just like Thanos destroyed the Infinity Stones. Yeah, so just like Thanos used the Infinity Stones to destroy the Infinity Stones, um, St. Thomas Aquinas used the Philosopher's Stone to destroy the Philosopher's Stone. Or did he? Because can you even do that? So maybe yeah, he hid it somewhere. Yeah, that's the question. Maybe it's hidden somewhere. And then six years after that, St. Thomas Aquinas died. We got to um, tell Nat from Let's Get Haunted so they can go look for it. And that's <laughs> what we need to do. We need to send them on it. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's also like lots of holes in this legend. Mm -hmm. The biggest one being that lesser alchemists attributed their works to Albertus Magnus because they didn't have the protection of the church yeah. and he did. So they just wrote under his name so they wouldn't get witch trialed. Well, that's a good idea. Yeah. So most of the alchemical writings of Albertus Magnus are probably just collections from a bunch of different people, the real names of whom are just totally lost to history. This kind of misattribution is a breeding ground for, like, conspiracy theories and folktales. So in all likelihood, the story of Albertus Magnus discovering the Philosopher's Stone is just, like, a cool story to keep people hyped up about doing alchemy in the Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. Still, it would make a fantastic premise for an Indiana Jones movie. Like, I yeah. want the Uncharted game or the Tomb Raider game <laughs> where we find the motherfucking Philosopher's Stone. That would be dope. You know, maybe it already exists and I haven't played it. Like, I bet it does. I didn't play all those PS1 Tomb Raider games. So. We'll have to look. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to look. Mm. And I still haven't played, on like, the, the was it Uncharted 4 or 5 that was the last one? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so... This, this is like a story you could totally make like a whole fucking Dan Brown novel out of. Mm -hmm. um, plus with with all the, the shit with alchemists hiding codes in, in their fucking writing. Like literally these alchemists were like, don't want to get killed by the church. So everything's going to be the secret code. I'm going to draw a picture and I'm going to hide letters in the picture. And you have to overlay one picture with another picture in order to see what I'm talking about. And then you see the tree of life. Oh, my God. You know, that's yeah. that's how they wrote things. Yeah. Uh, and so that, which presents a huge problem for historians today. Well, you have to want it bad enough to find it. But yeah, dude, historians like researching alchemy are in just like an endless fucking escape room. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of like fake science shit. Mm -hmm. um, but some of it is real science. And we'll talk about that in a minute. In 1677, a mystical book called the Mutus Liber was published. The name translates to the wordless book. It features only illustrations, but it is said you could only interpret the photos if you had an evolved divine spark. The images within the text are said to be the blueprints for how to create the Philosopher's Stone. And even better, the book was added to the Library of Congress, so you can totally just, like, Google it and learn how to make a Philosopher's Stone if you've got magic god powers in you. 
Bam. Uh, Easy enough. Yeah. It is believed the book was authored by someone named Atlas, a scholar in the in high chemistry of Hermes. Of course, Atlas is somebody who doesn't exist and is entirely fictional. The real author of the book is totally unknown. Uh, also, if you've played Persona 5, it's by a company called Atlas, A-T-L-U-S, spelled the same way as this Ooh. fucking, like, fictional, like, pen name for the dude who wrote Ooh. slash drew this book. Carl Jung owned an original copy of it, and it was ex- used extensively in his own book. And we all know Persona is highly influenced by Jungian psychology, like mm-hmm. the games. Um, and his book was called Alchemy and Psychology. Jung used the book to establish a theory of generational psychology with like the recognition of certain symbols in alchemy that just exist in the collective unconscious. The images in the mutus liber existed as just psychological symbols. One such symbol in the mutus liber is the famous symbol for the Philosopher's Stone. A symbol that was used in the Philosopher's Stone transmutation circle in Full Metal Alchemist. It's called the squared circle. It's a circle in a square, in a triangle, in another circle. Meant to represent harmony between all the classical elements. As in, this is the prima materia. This is the symbol for the prima materia and the Philosopher's Stone. Oh, okay. You recognize that? Yeah. You've probably mm-hmm. seen that in, like, fiction and stuff. Yeah, it looks very, very um, similar also to the Harry Potter uh, like the Deathly Death- Hollows. Yeah, the, the Deathly Hollows mm-hmm. sort of symbol, which, I mean, featured a whole-ass Philosopher's Stone in the yeah. first book. So we have the instruction manual for how to create the Philosopher's Stone. It's just the Google search away in the Library of Congress. Thank God for public knowledge. Uh, L, do you want to see... If you've got the divine spark, if you've got what it takes to interpret the mutus libre. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to show you this picture I took from the mutus libre. And it is – I'm just going to try and describe it. There's like two cherubs crowning an old man with a leaf crown who – the old man also looks kind of like a cherub. And below him are two people holding up – uh, like rods and outside of these people's mouths they're like vomiting some kind of Latin script and below them is a dying person with two suns on on their like chest and a giant shining sun uh, above them so okay yeah I, I'm just trying to describe this literally but alright L. what step in the philosopher's stone creation is this let me, yeah. Okay, so I think this is saying that um, you have to do some sort of spell to take a soul from someone and then transmute that power and give it to this divine person who is selected and crowned by the angels. Okay. I mean, that is kind of what it looks like what's happening. Uh, but I would have never got gotten that until you said it. 
Yeah, it looks like they're just over this man who, I don't know if he's dead for sure. I don't think he's supposed to be dead, but like maybe resting or like he might have astral projected or like given his soul to it. But it has to go to this person who's been divinely chosen. That's why the angels are holding him up and that's why they're crowning him because he's been the chosen one. So you have to be chosen to receive it and you have to have conduits that can take that power and convert it into basically script or some sort of um, language. The immaterial yeah, language. in order to give it to him for him to be divinely crowned. So there are like a few different steps. It can't just be the angels have chosen him and made him, and it can't just come from humans. It has to be a combination of the two to work together towards that divinity. And y'all, these pictures are fucking wild. They honestly look like tarot cards. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, it would be amazing to get this as just... Yeah, I would it, love the book. It's definitely public domain. It's from like the 1600s. So like... Uh, it would be cool to get these illustrations put onto Oracle cards. Maybe we should do that and make money. Yeah, that would uh, be cool. That would be way cool. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, and that was, the, Elle was looking at a photo of one of the original 1677 publications of the Mutus Libre. Mm-hmm. Like, definitely Google it. It's just... I think we'll post wild. that picture in the Patreon. Yeah. So if you guys want to see it. Yeah, definitely. And that was the extra spell brought to you by... Me. (laughs) And my new book, The Ghost Was Always the Machine. The book is about digital escapism. Half the book takes place in an analog paper form, and the other half takes place online in an interactive digital form. It features my poem Face Blind, which won the Button Poetry Video Contest. You can pick up your copy at rjwalkerpoet.com. Now we're getting to the part where we're talking about famous alchemists and their inventions themselves. First one we're going to start with is Isaac fucking Newton. Yes. Isaac fucking Newton, the granddaddy of physics himself, the inventor of calculus. That's right. One of the most prolific thinkers of all time was all about that alchemy and soul magic shit (laughs) and attempted to make a philosopher's stone himself. Isaac Newton gathered up every piece of knowledge or writing on alchemy he could get his hands on and dedicated 30 years of his life to translating, interpreting, and testing each of the formulas in the old papers going all the way back to Zosimos in 300 AD. This was arduous work because of all the different languages, styles, historical context to phase through. And then there was the fact that it was all fucking coded. It was all written in fucking codes for like the chosen one with the divine spark or was like hidden because they didn't want to get inquisitioned or like was hidden because they didn't want anybody to steal their soul magic ideas. Yeah. Uh, So like, yeah, that is a 30 year fucking project (laughs) in an estimated 10 million pages of writing produced by Isaac Newton. 1 million were dedicated solely to the study of alchemy. One-tenth of all of Isaac Newton's life work was spent in the pursuit of the Philosopher's Stone. So, like, the weird, the weird, like, people who are just like scientists the true god atheist gang like the the really annoying atheists that always bring up like isaac newton and deify these scientists 
Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> you're, they were doing fucking soul magic with the anima mundi and yeah. like trying to achieve like godhood and fill themselves with the light of the divine spark. Like, <laughs> sorry. They got a lot of good things out of it, though. Yeah. Um, and a lot of fucked up things, which we'll talk about later. Um, because these alchemists, he was just transcribing, literally coded their work in, like, metaphor, wordplay, literal codes, pictographic codes, like the Mutas Libre. Yeah. Newton just left exclusive, like, extensive annotations to try to explain what might be hidden in the ancient text, speculating what things he might have missed because of lack of context or without the proper key to decipher something much of what he decoded would be considered extremely heretical by the church in (laughs) isaac newton's time thus the need for secrecy the other concern was that alchemists were terrified other alchemists would just like steal their ideas and pass off their discoveries as their own which like happened a lot so it was a bit of a rock and hard play situation on one hand you didn't want people to know that you were doing forbidden heretical magic. And on the other hand, you didn't want someone else to get credit for your forbidden heretical magic. <laughs> so what are you going to do? Uh, Newton did the painstaking work of deciphering these writings and organizing them to make them make some kind of sense. Newton's writings on alchemy are currently being put online for public knowledge by Indiana University in a project called The Chemistry of Isaac Newton. Chemistry being an old world name for alchemy. So alchemy slowly evolved into the word chemistry. Um, Yeah, and chemistry is C-H-Y-M-I-S-T-R-Y. Okay. Yeah. It is these writings that Isaac Newton translated that help make up what we know today as chemistry. Sadly, though, after 30 years, Isaac Newton never discovered the Philosopher's Stone, even with the largest collection of alchemical secrets the world had ever known. I think it's because it isn't just science that can make it. I don't know that you can make it, um, but my guess is that you absolutely have to be a magician. As for, well. For real, if dudes like fucking Isaac Newton can't figure it out. Can't figure it out. Well, and I think like the line between scientists and psychic and like all this work, if you're invested in it and philosophy and all that, it's just not that far apart. Also, it's just wild to think about like how people like poo-poo astrology and shit. And they're like, Ugh astrology and then you hear about like literally it was like one of the leading sciences of the world yeah for a very long time yeah until very recently yeah astrology and alchemy were the highest academic pursuits they're like the most complicated things yeah wild absolutely absolutely wild uh and that concludes part one of our coverage of alchemy and honestly it really made my brain fucking hurt. I had a headache the whole time <laughs> doing this research. Obviously. Poor RJ was like, I'm yeah, just I like, confused. Yeah, I'm trying I, to understand. Yeah, honestly, like, I could take a community college level, like, class on this and – Probably I'd I'd fail. Um, well, I might get I might get a C. Uh, C's get degrees. I feel like you would need so much more in depth. Although I think that's the point, right? Yeah, it's like you looking at diagrams and like looking at these like encoded fucking pictures like, <laughs> that are huge. Trying to figure out like 
And, like, also you have to connect everything to fucking astrology and hermeticism and Gnosticism, these, like, fucking schools of thought that are also just, like, fucking ballooned and huged over the, like, 1700 years that they dominated academia. So, like, yeah, that was (laughs) that was the summary. That was Alchemy 101. That was Alchemy for Beginning Beginners, Um, (laughs) you know. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all super complicated. I mean, imagine, you know, something being considered the pinnacle of human knowledge for like 1700 years and then summarizing its core principles in a single podcast episode. It's hard. In um, 45 minutes in a podcast. <laughs> that was like what I was trying to do, the mental health and magic. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, how can you possibly like condense, like boil it down to. Because everything is so complicated and everything affects everything else. It's and, all so and intertwined. Then... And like, if you hear about the humors, honestly, can we make it a goal to be like the go-to magic history podcast because I would love that if that's what we were. Yeah. I mean, we definitely like start at the basics of everything and give introductions to everything. Um, But like most, if not all of these Mancies could be their own podcast. They really could. Yeah. Yeah, Except for maybe Alec Triomancy. But then again, you could do a whole podcast about raising chickens. (laughs) I'm sure that that would just to do that would be just amazing YouTube vlog. It's like, okay, welcome to episode one of making my chickens magic. Just stopped at IFA, picked up some baby chicks. They're black. Of course, they're black. (laughs) Now we do them. Oh, remember, it's the white hen, right? Oh, my friend, my friend who has magical chickens, the one that lives up on the mountain. That's amazing. My psychic <laughs> friend, remember? Yeah. Um, she only has black chickens on purpose. And she's like, fuck you. Fuck your light, love and light. Fuck your shadow self. I've got a black fucking chicken up on my fucking magical mountain. And yeah. So, you know, black chickens. Yeah. <laughs> that, she could have her own podcast about raising chickens. We should tell to her to do that. And yeah. like consulting the chickens to make small life decisions. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mm-hmm. But we're going to try to pull in Isaac Newton and we're going to explore the work of alchemists throughout time in part two. Um, so we're actually going to cut to our home where we are doing the science experiment so that we don't inadvertently make a mess in the recording Catch studio things on fire. Or catch things on fire or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it is like ages 12 and up science experiment from Michael's <laughs> – from like the Discovery Channel's line of chemistry kits. So Um, we'll do that at home. Yeah. So we're going to do that at home and we're going to like record like uh, the reactions and like the process of like building it and like the reading that Elle has. And we're going to do this reading for um, uh, the homie Joe, who is a molecular bioscientist. Yeah. um, Who uh, is probably owes some of their knowledge to the built upon knowledge created by alchemists throughout, throughout history. I'm sure a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to cut to that. All right. We are in our kitchen doing mother fucking alchemy. I've got the box. From dis- it's from Discovery. We got it at Michael's. We looked at all the kids' science kits and decided on this one. Glowing lava in motion. Built-in LED light. STEM. Science, technology, engineering, math. Uh, it's actually STEAM because they forgot to put alchemy after the E. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, so Glowing Bubble Light is the official name, and it's for ages 12 plus. And I think if you combine my age with Elle's age, it's over 12. We're really fucking old. Yeah. Okay. So, Elle, read me the steps. I will do the science, or do you want to do the science, since you're doing the magic? Um, I think you should do the science. I will I, do the I science. Think... I'm a champion of logic. Okay. <laughs> Okay. What's the first step? Take the bottle off the base. Did that. Remove bottle cap. Did that. Fill the bottle two-thirds Two-thirds of the way with water. Go. <laughs> Rocco excites easily. He got a little nervous. That was like two-thirds. There's no like measuring thing. I'm just eyeballing it. I can't see your hands covering. Is that like yeah, two-thirds? that looks great. That Maybe looks a little great. less than that. I don't know. I'm eyeballing I bet Zosimos of... Penumbria or whatever, fucking eyeballed it. Yeah, probably. I, I bet okay. Isaac Newton fucking. Add. He probably didn't eyeball it. Add food coloring. How much? Add food uh, coloring to the water. Okay. Got blue food coloring. Bloop, bloop, bloop. I'm guessing I need to shake it up. Uh, nope, wait, wait, wait. Pour in a layer of oil that is about half an inch high. Half an inch high. Okay, I've got vegetable oil, fresh from the. Uh, freshly milked from the vegetables from the vegetable farm. Yeah. Which vegetable farm? Omega Marts. <laughs> Omega Marts, Plenty Valley. How how long? How much? Half an inch. Uh yeah. It's bubbly, but yeah, it looks like about half an inch. Okay. Yeah, I think that's good. Um. Turn on your base light. I think you need to put the cap back on. They did not include that stuff. Okay, we gotta have clear instructions. Well, how can you say remove bottle cap and then not again tell me to replace the bottle cap? You know, uh, this is why Johann oh. Georg Faust blew himself up. You actually have to have the bottle the bottle cap off because we're putting salt in. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so we got the cap okay. off. I got the base light Turn on. Turn on your base light very carefully. Base light's on. Without spilling. Without spilling, fuck! Nope. It's bad luck. Set the bottle on the base. Okay, did that? Which you did, okay. Add a tablespoon of salt to the bottle and see it bubble down and back Okay, up. let me just get a tablespoon since now we're measuring things. <laughs> uh, this is a spoon for the table, right? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, don't want to spill this salt because that's bad luck. Rocco is extra helping you. Tablespoon of salt. Okay, it's going in. It just kind of glubered at the bottom. Oh. Was that the, was that the final step? Um, continue to add more salt to create more bubbles. <laughs> okay, it's kind of like glubering up. It's the heavy I salt. Like does it the heavy salt is like... Ooh, look at the, like, wisps, though. Look at this little booger. <laughs> That's just, like, jiggling down there. Yeah. It looks like a little cyclops. Okay, I'm going to add another salt now that we know what the fuck it does. Okay. Um, and so then... Look at that, that bubble. Bloop. Inspector's helping. Okay. This time you add the salt, and then uh, try to answer Joe's question, which is... And Joe is a uh, molecular biologist, uh, which is some pretty uh, intense 
science. Uh, Joe's question is, how can I achieve peace and stability after moving to a new job by myself? So let's see what the salt bubble experiment says. Tablespoon? No, I think I'm just gonna. You're just gonna pour well, it in I'll like a fucking like gorilla. A, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll <laughs> sprinkle it in. Okay. okay. Uh, We're doing some hard, hardcore science. My cat is helping and is concerned. Now I'm just worried. You know what? They'll be fine. <laughs> and what happens will happen, and they will all suffer the consequences of their own actions. Okay, Joe. How do you find peace? Let's see. In a new, moving to a new job yeah. by themselves. Okay. Okay, you see the... Ooh, that was a big one. I Whoa. think the, like, um, idea here is, like, slowly. Like, do it, like, bit by bit. Do it in... Um, yeah, in small bits and let things just kind of naturally go where they're going to go. Don't be worried about or don't try. Try not to be worried about um, how quickly things are going or whether things are going at all. Um, I think the biggest thing is going to be just letting yourself naturally adjust. I think it's um, interesting to note, or I feel like I want to note, that I feel like you have a um, soul tie, or whatever you would call that. Like, this place really just calls to you, and you'll find all of the little things that are going to give you peace that have brought you there in time. You just need to be the one that learns how to roll with things a bit. And I definitely sense some adventure, and um, like I see a lot of friends and I see like really good looking friends um, and it's kind of like meeting people that you never knew were your people, but you always belonged with them and you just need to have a little bit of wildness and excitement and go with the flow a little bit more and then you'll see everything start picking up or you'll feel settled in maybe it's a better way. All right. Now that the animals are... <clears throat> handled uh let's do uh another reading for joe and let's do just like a general reading and see if we can get more information on joe's question about moving to another job what experiment in our list of discovery kids science experiments do you want to do falling rain i want to do falling rain water shaving cream food coloring Should okay. we do red let's do red for red. this question okay all right, read me the instructions, L, and I will uh, become the full metal alchemist and make it happen. I will deconstruct and reconstruct matter. Take the bottle off the base. Done. Remove bottle cap and fill bottle with water until it is about one inch from the top of the bottle. One inch from the top? Yes. Damn. That's full. It's real full. Okay, okay. It's about an inch, right? Yeah, yeah, that looks good. Um, cover the top of the water with shaving cream. Okay. Got my Barbasol right here. I fucking love the consistency of this stuff. Me too. That's what I was just thinking. I was like, I just want to play with this now. <laughs> That's all I want to do. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> I just slapped Elle with shaving cream. Yes. 
Okay. Backwards in her hair. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the next step? Uh, turn on the base light. Okay. Then, <laughs> very carefully without spilling, set the bottle on the base. Did I miss the step where we add the food coloring? No. Okay. Done. Add drops of food coloring until it begins to fall through the shaving cream into the water. Oh, Close the bottle shoot. and watch the rain. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm gonna get my get my camera. You can film this for the TikTok. My hands are wet and covered in shaving cream. My fingerprint scanner does not want to agree with me. Okay. <laughs> Alright, alchemy experiment two, falling rain, adding the food coloring in the top. And just keep going. Oh my god, oh, oh, oh. It's gonna spill over. One thing you need to know about Elle is that Elle hates things almost spilling more than things actually spilling. I agree. <laughs> it's very true. Okay, and we put the cap on. We watch the falling <laughs> rain. <laughs> it looks like a shaving accident happened in there. <laughs> okay, we gotta like settle this down. I think I need to add more food coloring. It's said to do it until it. The, the rain isn't falling. You gonna hold the camera? Uh, yeah. You got shaving cream all over your hands? Yeah, I got shaving cream all over. Oh, I wonder why. No idea. All right. Guess we keep adding food coloring. I'm gonna fill up this little crevasse here. Crevasse. I think that was the middle head of Starburst. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> you know what? I'm really feeling like an alchemist now. The experiment is not working. It's not becoming the Philosopher's Stone. I'm gonna have to pee on it. <laughs> Oh wait! Oh no! That looks horrifying! Oh my god! Why did you choose red? Why did you choose red? Oh my god! Oh my god! If, if, I'm not gonna even say so what this looks I like. I see a frog! Really? You're gonna scry? Okay, scry it. Yeah, I see a frog, I see a butterfly. Um, let's see. I... Yeah, it's like, I just keep seeing butterflies. So it's like, yeah, being at peace with the transformation. I'm trying to think about how to phrase it better, like, to give you some homework to do or something. I feel like um, I really want to encourage you, actually, to look at animal medicine, which is basically the practice of adopting um, different characteristics of animals to help us in our lives. And I feel like frog um, animal medicine and butterfly animal medicine will both be really useful to you right now. And so I think that using those to help your transition will make it go a lot smoother. I mean, both are creatures that metamorphize. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I would say is get comfortable with letting go of the things you've always known. <laughs> I don't know. The red was probably bad. Yeah, that was a choice. Um, 
I'm gonna accelerate the experiment just a little bit to see what happens. <laughs> Look at the top. The top looks disgusting. <laughs> well, Joe, that's your reading. I hope, uh, I hope that was helpful to you. Um, you know, this is not the last time we're gonna do science, but uh, we're definitely gonna make uh, better choices next time. <laughs> oh, man. Now we have to do metallurgy. Yeah. The more dangerous. Hit us up on Patreon, and L will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Patreon.com slash Mansi. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make and the crazier Mansies we can do. <laughs> if you liked my writing, you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. If you wanted to get a reading from me, you can find me on my Etsy shop, which is Laurels of Lux. You can order a reading from me on there. You can message me there. Um, you can find me in most social media places under Laurels of Lux. Um, yeah, let me know if I can do anything to help y'all. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Arthi Vinka, Miyu, and Scott Buckley. <laughs> <laughs>